This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, Craig Smith. Craig, hello. How are you? Uh, hello, I, I am uh, busy but good. This is a, a time of year that for me that is just off the rails and then Nebraska decided to uh, really add to that with their season and this coaching search. So yeah, tons of fun around here, but good. Nebraska has been super helpful for the media in the last four years. <laughs> well, really, I guess in the last two decades. But at the same time, the the way that it is helpful is stressful. Yes, um, that's a perfect way to put that. <laughs> so yeah. that's where we're at. We got into the wrong profession, dude. We we should have been coaches. The money getting tossed around for coaches that that probably like I like Mel Tucker. I like James <laughs> Franklin. Is Brian Kelly going to win a national championship and not get fired at LSU? Or is Brian Kelly going to get fired? Because it, it kind of feels like Brian Kelly will win a title and then he'll get fired at some I point. Think- I think the the odds of that are fairly good. Um, and it's a combination of their history and him. Like, it is, like it, that's a combustible situation, but also one that could prove to be very good in the short term. So there yeah, are like, we definitely went to the wrong profession there. Yeah, there are a handful of hires that have happened this coaching carousel that I am, like, really excited by. Um, sure. Kalen DeBoer at Washington, for one. Yeah, that one intrigues me. But then I'm looking at the numbers for a lot of this stuff, and I'm like, this, the the coaching market, I think, has been, maybe not forever, because you can't really ever say that anything is, like, definite, but, like, for at least the near future, has been completely changed with the money that is getting tossed around. Like, we could have been, we could have been mediocre coaches and gotten really good paydays this summer. Or this yes. winter. Yes, we could have, which it makes it does make me think though, too, is like coaches that are making, I don't know, three three to five million dollars, right? Like that are having success. Like, why like couldn't they go to their schools and be like, hey, what are we doing here? Like I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like somebody that okay, so PJ Fleck. He did get a raise, and I don't know off the top of my head, maybe you do as a card-carrying member of PJ Fleck's fan club. You know um, me. Yeah, like what he's making now per season. But given his success and the success that he's had over a few years at Minnesota, like why couldn't he go and say, I need to get at least a good percentage of what Mel Tucker's getting at Michigan State? PJ Fleck like, got a raise at the beginning of November to bring him from 4.65 to 5.1 million. So he makes a hundred thousand more than Scott Frost. Or yeah. I, if I'm him, 
we have one more good year and it's no longer a, oh yeah, he just signed that extension. It's no, no, you better like give me a couple million dollar raise or I can go somewhere else, obviously by what's been happening in the market and get another job. Like, I don't know if that's necessarily what we, you know, <laughs> intended to start off with, but I, yeah, that has really struck me that coaches that are having success, especially in a place like Minnesota, which recently is not, they've been fine, uh, but they're not a traditional power. Like some of these coaches are going to be in line for some really big paydays. Every deal that I see, I think about Nick Saban. Every single one, I think about Nick Saban, specifically the Brian Kelly deal upwards of a hundred million, like 10 mil a year. Um, 10 for a hundred, I think is, is what it can get to. And then you think about what Jimbo has. I think he's like 10 for 95. I think is what he can get up to. Ridiculous. This is massive. Yeah. So those are two SEC, what West coaches (laughs) in Nick Saban's division. Like if I, if I was Nick Saban, and maybe he already did it. I would be, I would be texting my agent and being like, "He's got the agent, right?" He's yeah, his, his yeah. Agent. <laughs> I'd be texting him and be like, "You see this shit?" Yeah, like and it's all—it's so weird. Like, cause remember a few years ago when he, um, when Texas was flirting with him, or he was flirting with them, or whatever was happening with him in Texas, and the number then was a hundred million dollars, and people were kind of like, eh, "I don't know." Even for Nick Saban, I don't know. Now, what would they have had to pay him now? Like, like I think legitimately he could he could be like if if in the next let's say 24 months him and Alabama are really in, in a situation where he's like yeah you're gonna pay me more money look at the rest of the market I think Sexton could legitimately ask for a 200 million dollar contract for Nick Saban this gets it like when people talk about if the NBA didn't have a salary cap, what would LeBron James actual worth be? Because like when, when you get when you get a salary cap and then you have max contracts, like one guy is making the exact same as another guy, even if they're not technically worth the same. And it's like, well, if there wasn't a salary cap in the NBA, LeBron James would be worth what? Like, <laughs> what would his contract be? Would yeah. he, would he take up 60% of yeah. the, the old cap or something like that? Like, Nick Saban is the most valuable coach in the sport. And there are now two guys. And and there are now two guys in his own division who have gotten significant investment from their programs to basically watch them lose to Nick Saban every other year. Yeah, that would have to make if I'm Nick Saban, I feel really good about that. And you know, every time I beat them, I would like it would just be something. I'd do something, make a little money symbol, like tweet something. I don't know. I would if I'm him, I'd troll them at every turn because it's not really just it's not feasible to think that both of them are going to beat him on a consistent basis. It's just not gonna happen. So right. that's gonna be fascinating. I mean, Jimbo was the first first of his former assistants to beat him. And that, yeah. that happened this year. Now, Kirby Smart's probably going to do it in the SEC championship game. But like, <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like it's an easy task to pull off. No. What are your general thoughts on the Notre Dame-LSU situation? Marcus Freeman is staying. Um, it, it sounds like both Notre Dame's offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator being Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman turned down Brian Kelly to go to LSU. They're staying at Notre Dame. Freeman's going to be a head coach. I think he's 38. Um, it's a big deal at Notre it's Dame. Insane. It's We're a, the same it's a, age. 
<laughs> it's a big deal. Um, he's a first-time head coach, and it's Notre Dame. And then Brian Kelly is is at LSU, and he's the third all-time winning as coach, winning, active winning as coach. Um, but he doesn't have a national championship. He's been in the playoffs twice now. He's lost both semifinal games. He lost the national championship in 2012, I think, 11, 12, something around there. Um, the Manti Teo fiasco. What, I guess, what, what were your thoughts on just the Notre Dame LSU thing? Like, do you think Brian Kelly is going to work? Man, first of all, I was I, surprised as an understatement on this one. Like I was less surprised by the Lincoln Riley from OU to, L, to USC move than I am Brian Kelly, Notre Dame to LSU because for a couple of reasons. One, I thought Brian Kelly, I think it's gotten that Notre Dame um, situation to a really good spot. And it's been kind of hard. Like it's not, I think that people, it's, I think people think it's been easier than it has been. Remember they had some struggles. They had to replace a lot of staff. They had to make adjustments to what they were doing and they've kind of become known for a few things, right? They've played really good defense um, over multiple coordinators, but especially under Freeman, they have really good offensive line and, and really good running games and really good tight ends, right? So like they've got an identity and they've got that thing moving upward. So then for him to, move to LSU which is a I don't know LSU is it's a top five job okay so but but Notre Dame is in that same region so to make that type of jump is really interesting to me all that being said I think it works because of what you said off the top which is Brian Kelly is the, the third highest winning percentage of active coaches right now he's a really good football coach like whatever you think about Brian Kelly personally and <laughs> opinions are not great and I don't think that they were great um, before uh, this move and even though I think people are going a little overboard on the slander for these coaches that are moving like I really think that we need to back it down a little bit and I want that on record. Um, but I think it will work, but the coaching, but the culture shock for him will be really interesting. And I'm really fascinated to see just kind of culturally how he fits down there. I don't remember if I shared this with you yesterday, but it was out there as many jokes as were flying about Brian Kelly looks like he thinks Sprite is spicy. Um, and all those jokes that were flying around, this man went out there. I don't know if you saw it. There was a video, um, after the press conference where he goes up to somebody and he's like, man, that red tail snapper that you guys had me uh, get earlier was so good. We got to find out where that is. Like he's going to be in for a shot. That part of it is more funny to me than the actual Exodus football, but it's still part of the gig because you do have to kind of fit in down there. It's a different world, but I do think that it will work because he's a really good coach. I did see that video. <laughs> I did see the joke about Sprite being too spicy and died. Um, it's one of those things where like Brian Kelly is going to work if he's winning and if he's not winning, it's not going to work because all of the other stuff becomes problematic, which is, yeah. which is basically what happened with Dan Mullen. Like he stopped winning and all the other stuff that, that we hadn't heard about in three years suddenly <laughs> was, was just too much to handle. Um, if he wins, it doesn't matter. And this is kind of like what's been the case with the last two LSU coaches being Les Miles and Ed Orgeron when they were winning the uh, shady character didn't really matter. Right. And then when they stopped winning, it was like, uh, how much longer do we want to deal with these guys? Um, and I think Brian Kelly is definitely a shady character and there are no good ways to tell your team that you're leaving, but 
I think we've seen two two exceptionally bad ways <laughs> this this coaching cycle. Um, but if he wins, you know, it doesn't matter. If he wins the national championship, it doesn't matter. He won a national championship. So um, the the Lincoln Riley to USC thing is is like I'm so fascinated by this going forward. I cannot wait to see this unfold. Because like Lincoln had OU built and this phenomenal recruiting class coming in and a quarterback that he was going to have for the next two or three years, probably two years. Probably two. <laughs> and he had all of this built and he's going to USC, which is a rebuild. And because of the, the, the recruiting talent available to him, it's not going to be a super long rebuild, but it is a rebuild. And in terms of like roster talent, it's a step back. And so that piece of it will be interesting. Now he like immediately flipped guys from OU to USC and he immediately got some dudes. So like the, it, like recruiting for him is not going to be tough there. I don't think, I think they're they're He's going to have success there. Um, but for Oklahoma, they're going to the SEC in a couple years, maybe sooner, depending on what happens. This next head coach, like I don't think I'm I'm crazy to think that this next head coach could could really determine what the next decade of of their football program looks like. Because if they don't get it absolutely right and they're going to the SEC, they they're in trouble. Lots. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about this too is OU has been in situations before where they've had downturns. Like, we, they've had long, sustained periods of success, but they have had these downturns kind of sprinkled in there. And it's not, it's not crazy to think that even if they get a pretty good coach, and it's going to be the coach, whoever the coach is, I feel fairly confident saying it's going to be a step down from Lincoln Riley because there's only a, a couple of guys that would be a step up, um, just being realistic about it. And so combine that, with the enormous task you now have in front of you to keep those guys in your class that are flocking to LA to also keep the guys on your team, right? Because we know that people are setting up shop. And I still don't know if it was actually true or not that Florida State's coaching staff was out there like trying to recruit. Um, <laughs> there were reports of that. Um, and they wouldn't be the only ones if that's actually happening. And so there's just a lot there for that person to figure out while also moving conferences to the SEC where, oh, by the way, we just talked about this is where these like very, very high priced coaches reside. And oh, by the way, the king of the sport. And so and then always upstart teams like the one thing about the SEC that's always a little is kind of tricky is that you always have your teams that are up top and that are really good, whether it's Georgia and Alabama right now, Florida has been mixed in there before, but there is always a team or two that is like on the rise weirdly right now it feels like it's old miss right and you've seen this kind of cycle through and so that just makes it complicated when you talk about like you legitimately can see four losses and not really have them be upsets if you're OU coming into that conference so it's just really difficult and back to the the Lincoln case real quick I it is a rebuild but I think he's going to turn that around very quickly um, it's not just those guys that he flipped from OU. I've been following this because all, I have, because I'm a Lakers fan, I have a lot of people that like USC football in my life. And so I'm always seeing stuff like this on Twitter. 
And so I'm reading stuff where, yeah, he flipped those guys, but now there's five-star offensive tackle from California that had ruled USC out that just told so-and-so that now he's interested in meeting with Lincoln Riley. I look up and yesterday I saw more pictures of Lincoln Riley at LA area high schools um, all day long. That was all he was doing yesterday. So it's just going to be so fascinating how that goes out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah the, the, everybody wants to meet with lincoln riley <laughs> right everyone's like, got want... five stars beating the door down to come try and meet with him now like it's just yeah. it's incredible and that's why you make that kind of move though that's why you you don't blame him for, for making that move and for for oklahoma there, i think there's a lot of confidence just from from what i've seen um and their ability to just keep on keeping on because you know like bob stoops in, in his in the whatever the announcement press conference was that they did he was like the players are the program there's there's been a lot of like the program is bigger than one coach talk which is true it is it's been pretty sustainable over the last 75 years but like when when barry switzer was out it was gary gibbs and john blake for like a decade and there was not sustained success for that decade and that was in big eight big 12 now like nebraska was still part of that in the 90s but it's just that's that situation doesn't feel like it's comparable to what they're about to walk into with the SEC because recruiting is completely different because Nick Saban is there. Depending on what happens with their with like the way the SEC chooses to structure divisions or structure schedules whenever OU and Texas get added in, like if you're playing Alabama, LSU, and AM every year you have to have the right coach right away when you get into that conference. Because if you don't have the right coach right away, if you have a hire that's kind of iffy, you're going to lose players from this team. Recruiting is going to, to slip a little bit. And then when you get into the SEC, because you don't have that firm base, which we've seen like the top schools in the SEC have a strong recruiting base in their backyard, mm-hmm. Oklahoma's not going to have that. And where they like to pull from, Texas – California are, are going to be not as accessible to them because not only is Texas in the SEC, but now A&M is also there as well. So like that whole situation there is just going to be super fascinating for me to watch. And like I, I, Brandon, we were talking to Brandon the other day in the Slack channel. And he's like, I, I would have a hard time putting five jobs ahead of the Oklahoma job, which I would agree with. Yeah. But the, the presence of the SEC or the looming presence of the SEC just makes it just adds a lot of unknowns, unknown layers to this that I'm very, very curious to see how it plays out. One thing I wanted to talk to you specifically about Lincoln Riley did an interview with Joel Klatt after the the move and, and he's been getting skewered for the way he left for the manner in which he left for the timing that he left and now what's going on with recruiting classes. And he's been getting hammered. And the way Lincoln Riley went about it, as I said before, wasn't like, wasn't super great, but there are also not a ton of great ways to leave a team. Yeah. The way the recruiting calendar is set up, you can't wait. If he wanted to make this move, he needed to make it now. One of the things he talked to Joel Klatt about was that because of the early signing period, he feels like himself and other coaches that move is there to be made. It has to be made at an inopportune time. It has to be made at a bad time because of the early signing period, because the school that you're going to go to 
you want to try to salvage a class. And with the way that this is trending, and you've talked about this before, teams want to have their classes locked up in the early signing period. It doesn't, they don't want it to be a situation where they're like, yeah, we'll get a couple guys here, but we're really still focused on February. The like February signing period is now basically like the get the stragglers. Yeah. Like this is this is it in December. Do you think that that the early signing period it, it has maybe at least a little bit to do with coaching carousel madness that we've seen specifically this season? One hundred percent, yes. And I agree with Lincoln. And I actually, I kind of, I don't want to come. I feel like I've been a Lincoln Riley apologist today, but I do actually like him. I applaud him for like being honest about that because that is a real thing. Because I, I don't know. Like there isn't a, first of all, there's never a great time for these coaches to make this move. There isn't. And there's, there's not a real good way to handle it. There are certainly bad ways to handle it. See Brian Kelly um, and some of the things that he did, but, but there's not really no one, no coach, no matter how they handle it are really ever going to be applauded by the masses for leaving their team. Right. But I will say that leaving, I think leaving the team like last week or now, is better than doing it after you sign a class. Like, what if Lincoln had done that? What if he had signed, or Brian Kelly for that matter, if he had, if they had signed classes next or two weeks from now, 12 days, in the early signing period, and then that next weekend or that the, the weekend after those guys signed, oh, peace, I'm out. I'm going to USC fight on. Like, that would have been even worse, right? So I think at least you give the school an opportunity, and I think the point is very well taken and correct, that you do also want to give yourself an opportunity to go out and salvage a class because that's going to be your new job. Um, so I do think that the early signing period has a lot to do with this. Um, there's also, not to veer too far into that right now, but there's also a, a role in that for Nebraska with those assistant coach hires. And you do want those guys out on the road, on the road as well, which also makes it interesting. But like, and, but that's also something to do with those other situations too. Like USC wants to be able to have Lincoln Riley as the head coach going out to these high schools, but you also need some position coaches out there on the road as well that are actually going to be around. So yeah, it becomes the early signing period. And this is one of those things that I kind of, I feel like I write this a lot in different ways. I always like to say that, remember that a lot of things have unintended consequences. Those consequences aren't necessarily good or bad. They are just things that happen. And one of the things that happen because of the early signing period is, is when coaches need to make a move, they're going to make it early December so that they can recruit to their new school. Like it's just going to happen. And in 2017, when Scott Frost accepted the Nebraska job, he accepted at the beginning of December. He still coached UCF in the Peach Bowl, but he was recruiting for Nebraska. Was the early signing period implemented in 2017? Yes, there was an early signing period that year. Okay. I, I wonder if you asked Scott if he would do that same thing again, knowing all of the chaos that, that was, was his life for a month with trying to do that for two schools, if he would do it again, he'd probably say yes because he loved that team and they won a peach bowl and, and he'd probably try. But I think if, if, if he had the choice, like, could I just have a clean break now and know that UCF was still going to win its peach bowl and get its perfect season? He'd probably just focus on Nebraska. I think. Um, I, and, and I think like you aren't going to see, that's going to be the exception rather than the rule going forward. I just don't think you're going to see that a ton of times. Um, 
So you talked about something interesting. So let's just pivot to that. Nebraska has four open offensive positions on its coaching staff. The early signing period is approaching. The transfer portal is filling up and the top guys in the transfer portal get in the portal and then get out pretty quickly. Right. Nebraska has guys that need to make decisions on whether they're coming back or not for next year. Doesn't all of this stuff kind of hinge on Nebraska being able to find an offensive coordinator and fill out those assistant coach positions? Because in most instances, players want to know what the plan is for them, who's going to be coaching them, how they're going to be used, what kind of style they're going to be playing offensively, specifically offensively, if, if they are looking at the portal for a quarterback, if they are trying to figure out what their quarterback situation is, if Scott Frost is to be trusted when he says he wants to hand it over to someone that he trusts and not necessarily someone that he has uh, a, a past relationship with, which could open the door for somebody coming in with new offensive ideas and a new way that he wants to do things. Whoever is coming wants to know what are you going to do and how are you going to use me? And currently Nebraska cannot answer that question. Ron Brown cannot answer that question. Frank Verducci cannot answer that question. They got to have Steve Cooper, I think was handling quarterbacks. They got to have full-time assistant coaches on board. Is this taking too long, Greg? Yes. Like, I I don't, I'm like, it's really like, I'm kind of befuddled, I guess would be the word about some of this because, okay, let's just take the quarterback part of it. That is a huge, huge piece of what's happening here moving forward, but it's almost at a standstill. Like the only thing we really know this point and i feel very confident in that they're looking at transfer portal quarterbacks and they would like to bring in a transfer portal quarterback regard independent i think of what the decision from adrian martinez is which was made much more complicated by his injury um just for the record but that was the I worst think- thing that could have happened to them a shoulder injury yes. for him. Yes. The worst I thing that could happen. For all of them, for, for every person involved, I think that it was the worst thing that could have possibly happened. Yeah, it makes the decision um, so much tougher on both sides. So much more difficult. And so, but I don't know how you even set a quarterback board without knowing who the offensive coordinator is, if that person is going to be the quarterback's coach or if there's going to be a dedicated quarterback's coach. Are there going to be any tweaks to the offense or not? You don't know for sure because you don't know who the right who the offensive coordinator, the quarterback coach are. And so that makes that tremendously difficult. And then it kind of goes down the line from that. I think it gets a little bit less difficult when it comes to like say running backs and wide receivers, though you still have a little bit of tweaking there, right? Because the one thing that I'm kind of I'm really interested in actually is at running back, if you're going to go after portal running backs or if you're going to try to find a diamond in the rough at this point um, for the 2022 recruiting class, who's picking that guy? Like, you know what I mean? Like, who's identifying him and, and what skill set he needs to have? And how does that match up with the offense if you don't know exactly what's going to be happening? So that part of it is really interesting to me. But also offensive line. Like, <laughs> we know that Nebraska is going to have to get offensive linemen from the portal um it's just going to have to happen right and 
if you have a new offensive line coach that isn't in place yet, uh, well, it has not been in place throughout the first, what, five days-ish of um, recruiting on the road, then that guy might have ideas about what he needs to look for in offensive linemen, which was, could be different than what Greg Austin had been looking for and Scott Frost for the last few years. So it's all just so in flux and it's tough because people ask us for the answers on these things. And I feel like I have to like, be, we have to be creative in how many different ways we say these things are all in flux while they try to sort these things out. Um, and have been in flux for the last, like, you know, beginning of them being on the road. Because I know, like, for example, the, the running back in Minnesota, uh, Emmett Johnson, right, is a 2022 running back, tells me, hey, Nebraska's coming in home. And I'm thinking, okay, well, who's coming in home for you? Ron Brown and Steve Cooper went and visited him in home. But we don't, I, we don't know if either or both of them are going to be in their roles next year. So I'm just kind of really interested on how those pitches go in home or if you're just are you just selling nebraska as a whole which obviously ron brown could do because he's been here forever but does nebraska also have the cachet to just sell nebraska as a whole and think that it's going to get players like that you know what i mean like it, there's just a lot there to be determined yeah it's the um the in-home thing is very interesting because i've listened i've been listening to people talk about what's going on with oklahoma and a lot of the conversation revolves around recruiting because of the timing. And one of the things that, that um, a couple of folks have been saying is like the relationship between top recruit and head coach is the most important thing. A lot of times the guy goes where he has the best relationship with whatever head coach. So for Frost, if he is focused more on trying to find his assistance then he is recruiting and he's sending out guys who aren't necessarily going to be their position coach for recruiting. I guess what, what is that? That, that has to have an impact, right? I mean, he's got to be, he's got to have this figured out so that he can be on the road recruiting so that he can have relationships with these players as opposed to, you know, a guy like Ron Brown speaking for him. Cause you're right. Like what do you sell in, in terms of like program when you've got 15 wins in the last four years? Right. Like, and you have the, you just have a, also a little bit of a weird dichotomy there too, is that you have the win loss record, but then also at some of these positions, it depends on how much recruits are digging in on some of this stuff, like running back, for example, like, I don't know how much a running back is going to actually look at the situation and say, Hey, how come a quarterback has led your team in rushing for the last couple of years? But then even as I say that, I think I know what the response would be. You can be the guy to come in and change that. So like, I guess there's that pitch that still exists. Um, but Coming and change that by standing on the sideline for the entire yeah, time. Yeah, like it's and that's the sort of stuff that like it's just so. And this is one of those like I, I feel like we're almost sometimes at a disadvantage on some of these things because you're, we're so into the nuts and bolts of what's happening. My response would then be, yeah, like there's been such a weird rotation at running back that I don't know how I would be if I'm the recruit, if I'm the one that's going to be able to change it, if I don't even know what I need to do to get on the field. Um, but they don't know all that. So like, you know what I mean? Like, so it's an easier pitch to say, because I know for going back to that Emmett Johnson kid in Minnesota, I know that part of the pitch is um, he said that he likes, one of the things he likes about Nebraska is that he can come in and potentially make an impact as a true freshman. So that pitch is still being used at some point out there. 
but it's just all so like interesting to see how it fits together. And I wrote the other day that there are so many puzzle pieces that need to come together, both large and small, um, to really then add up to enough of a difference to, I don't want to say push Nebraska over the hump, because I feel like that short changes it, to have them take a few steps forward to get to bowl game territory. Whoa, breaking news. <laughs> breaking news on the podcast. Um, Adrian Martinez is leaving. He's going in the transfer portal. Um, okay. The record holder for all-time total offense in a career is transferring away from the program. Um, Greg, you and I just last week had a pretty lengthy conversation about Adrian Martinez's legacy at Nebraska. We did. I'm pretty sure in that conversation, I said, if I was advising him, I would tell him to transfer somewhere else, go somewhere else. To be clear, I did not tell him (laughs) to do that, but (laughs) he's doing it. Um, do you have any off the cuff thoughts? This kind of just happened as uh, we're podcasting. This is this is new territory for the podcast. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's the thing. Like it, man, I, there are so many things swirling in my head, but the one this my honestly, my first thought as you were just saying that was is we've had another kind of record-breaking offensive player decide to leave the program on his own. Like that's three years in a row. You've got Adrian now, you had Wandale, you had J.D. Spielman. Uh, yeah. That's an issue. Um, it is an issue that, man, Adrian Martinez is so tied to, the, to Scott Frost's kind of coaching legacy at Nebraska because they, are, they have been basically seen as one um, for, for this time period. So it's kind of hard to divorce the two. Um, I don't, I, I would not have, I, I don't have, Ill, I don't think badly of Adrian for doing this or anything, because I would assume, I don't remember exactly what I said last week in our discussion, but I also would have probably recommended him to leave, though, all that being said, um, because I would be really curious to see what he could do in a different situation um, where he had, and then we want to say more help around him at the skill position, but more help around him on the offensive line. Like, what's, what does a season look like for Adrian Martinez in which he can stay healthy because he's not taking so many hits? Like, that is the thing that I'm really kind of fascinated by with him moving forward. But we also know the way that this news being received and that it's going to be viewed as kind of a doom and gloom for the program. Here's another bad data point for where this is going as you have other players who are also making decisions about whether or not to leave or stay. I think every, and this is honestly a, a little bit, move back a little bit from that, a little bit bigger picture. This is honestly part of the calculation that Trev Alberts had to make when he decided that he wanted to bring Scott Frost back for a fifth year restructured contract or not. These types of things are, st- are things that you had to keep in mind. You had to have in your mind that it could be possible that a guy like Adrian could leave. It could be possible that Austin Allen could say, hey, I want to try my hand at the NFL. 
or a couple other players as well. It had to be possible that Nebraska would struggle to find a new assistant coaches, given everything happening. Like all of that had to be a factor. And so it's just a really tough situation. And it's going to be odd to think that Scott Frost is going to go into this real, obviously critical season, his fifth at Nebraska, with no Adrian Martinez and a new new quarterback, even if it was Logan Smothers, it's a new full-time starting quarterback. Yeah, I think the way Logan played against Iowa and sort of the reception that he got after the game, or I guess during the game, I I, I would guess that that a lot of people probably maybe weren't expecting this to be the outcome but maybe like said i'm okay with it if this was the outcome i think i'll be okay with it if this was the outcome just because of the way he he played now maybe i'm in the minority but like i don't I don't know what Logan Smothers is as a starting quarterback. And I don't think that that one game tells us much of anything. Um, Cause it still had the fumble and it still had the interception at the end of the game. And he ran it 24 times, which is not going to be, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to run Logan Smothers 24 times a game over the course of an entire season. Um, I, you know, Adrian did it 12 times, half that 12 times a game over the course of his season and and he exited hurt for what the third time in four years um i think there is probably something to be said about all of these guys not all a lot of these guys getting into the frost experience and then deciding. Yeah. I got to be someplace else for, for, for what, for whatever reason. And, and, and I understand that all of these guys have different reasons, but like, but they all come to the same conclusion. Yeah. That I can get where I want to go by being with a different coach or by being in a different offense, like Wando Robinson, I want to get to the NFL. I want my talent to be utilized differently. I want my skill set to be utilized differently. I'm going to go somewhere else. And like immediately it works. Austin Allen had a good year. Let's go to the NFL. Some of these other guys, good year, could still get better. No, we're going to go. I think there's some I think there's something there. Full well knowing that like this this doesn't surprise me that it happened because like I just said a week ago, like I would tell him to do the same thing. But like when I was when I when I think about and I can't remember what I said, like specifically what I said, but like part of the reason I would tell him to go is like, what does Nebraska do for you next year? Like, like if, if, if your two options are go in the transfer portal, go someplace else, try to have a better season or stay at Nebraska and try to make this work, <laughs> like, go have a better season or stay and try to make this work like that. Like just that statement is like, it, it doesn't reflect kindly on what has happened here. 
No, no, it doesn't. And I, and I think that you, man, because you, especially knowing like the, the, the stay and try to make this work element, I think is even bigger than normal because it's not just stay and try to make this work for myself. It's also stay and try to make this work for my coach. Like, and I don't want to make it like take the, make it seem like I'm taking the leap to saying, oh, these guys need to stay to save Scott Frost's job. But there is a little bit of an element of that, right? Like there has to be because we know that he's going into a make or break time and it just be right or wrong. If you start to pile up these decisions with important players leaving, then you end up in a situation where you're like, well, how much did they really want to fight for him? Like, I think that that will enter the discussion, even though, like you said, all of these decisions are still individual to a point. Um, but this feels this all this offseason. And I've felt like this um, really since the season before the season ended, that we were trending towards a much different place than we got at the end of last season. Where at the end of the last season, it felt like, OK, it's not a matter of who's coming back. It's how many are they going to get back with those super seniors, especially. It just does not feel like that this year. I feel like you got to shoot your shot with that one time. And then now guys are looking around like, eh, we saw those guys come back and it didn't quite work out. We technically got worse and we went three and nine with guys putting everything they had into it. We got, you know, Adrian playing with a broken face. JoJo's playing with whatever he's, all of the things that he's playing with as well. Um, other guys are dinged up because guys are always dinged up in football. Like, it's just tough. Like it, it, I, it would kind of, and I think it's human nature to have this happen to you. It kind of break your spirit a little bit in thinking that you were about to make it work here if you were those players. Like I understand where they're coming from. Um, they gotta hire. You gotta hire a coach. <laughs> they gotta. <laughs> they gotta hire some coaches. No, we're 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 recording this. Uh, Thursday so maybe by the time you listen to it you know what happened and they haven't done it but like it is it is important now and it's imp it's important for all the things we talked about earlier with recruiting and getting to know your players and evaluating and all that but man this city needs some positive mojo as well yeah. like there just needs to be some some good because honestly and this is something that maybe maybe I overthink this or put too much weight on this the news of austin allen being tight end of the year was great and positive for the program but it feels like it just went right by the wayside to oh my god are they striking out on coordinators and coaches like yeah. it, it's just you know they need things to start happening in a positive way otherwise it's going to be miserable around here this offseason do they have a quarterback recruit for the 22 cycle they don't do they yeah, they do. 22, um, Richard Torres from Texas. Oh, Torres, who, okay. And he was, he was in town for the Iowa game. So, if they added no one, they'd go into next season with three scholarship quarterbacks with one career start total. And one in Torres that is recovering from an ACL. <laughs> remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I did not remember that. <laughs> that's what said. I didn't, yeah. didn't even remember he existed, so that's yeah, part I of mean, the course. You know, it happens. Uh, there's uh, a lot going on. So yes. So like they they it, it it's it's more likely than not that they're going to be at least trying in the portal. It, 
I would say to happen. Like there is no, like, I cannot imagine that you're going to go into next year. And there's no disrespect to any of those quarterbacks. I think that upside is there. And I like them all personally there. You just cannot do that. It's untenable. If you're Scott Frost to enter next season with the, just those three quarterbacks as your scholarship quarterbacks and put your fate into those guys' hands with no other competition. Well, the problem is the problem is you, you I mean, I think we both like Logan Spotters and Heinrich Harburg, and I you've <laughs> seen more of Richard Torres than I have. And I mean, obviously he's coming off ACL, so it's probably unlikely. But like you talk about upside, upside is not a thing that can be in the discussion for a coach that has one year. That is true. That's it's what 100%. he's in. He's got one yeah. year. He's got one year and he's got to get it figured out. And if he doesn't get it figured out, it's it. He doesn't get to experience the upside of the quarterbacks. And, you know, it is what it is. That's where he's at. So, like, I think it would be – I think it would be pretty telling if he thinks, yeah, we're good with what we got. It, I'm going to try to make would, it work. It would be extremely telling. It would also be um, – <laughs> Uh, a display of hubris that should not be involved um, just because just numbers wise, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, just based on the number of starts and what you've got there, just uh, it wouldn't make sense. I, I would not under any circumstance advise that. Um, and I do that, but I do think that they're looking at least. Um, but at the same time, I will note this last year, we thought after last season that they would look for a transfer quarterback and they really didn't at all. Remember, like, that was a talking point last year. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I, I, I assume that they will try. As we are wrapping this up, I see a tweet come across my timeline. Uh, quarterback expected points added metrics. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Adrian Martinez is in the top 15. And the caption is, these quarterbacks have had the greatest impact on their team in the regular season. Adrian Martinez is top 15, ahead of Jake Hayner. Wow. Fresno State guy who's going to uh, Washington. And, and That's a guy that, okay, I like that kid. And two spots below Matt Corral. How quickly does he get picked up? Adrian? Yeah. I mean... I would well, expect pretty quickly. You don't get, you yes. just don't get quarterback. You don't yeah, get you don't these get kinds of quarterbacks in the portal. Of, yeah, that level of experience and production. Like there is no mystery in a lot of ways about what you're getting from Adrian Martinez. And that's, that's, that's just the on the field stuff, right? Like even as he rehabs and learns a new team, you know that he's going to be a great teammate as well. He's not going to rock the boat. Um, he's going to be highly sought after. Highly sought after. How how quickly did Noah Vedral get picked up out of the portal? That I'm not sure, but I don't feel like it was a long time. Yeah, I don't think it was very long. I mean, he's he's like the guy for like that kind of situation. Coach wants coach wants a guy to come in and, and kind of set the culture for him right away. Yeah. So. All right, Craig, you got to go. You got work to do. 
there are like 15 other things I wanted to talk to you about, but we could talk for <laughs> 15 hours on this podcast and still not everything. Um, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate the conversation. Hey, thank you for having me, man. We'll be back next week with another one. In the meantime, keep reading LVRC.com. Listen to Greg Smith's podcast, a straight up breakdown podcast. He had Schmitty on it this week. It was a great episode. Also listen to the other podcasts that we are a proud part of the Herd at Media Network. The LVRC Network has... Oh, gosh, let's see. Uh, there's a basketball podcast with Jacob Padilla and Jacob Bigelow. Jacob also has a Nebraska Preps postgame show. There is the I-80 Preview podcast with Brandon Vogel. There is the Mind Your Own podcast with Aaron Sorensen and Sasha Durkin. Like, my brain just, like, gears are spinning as I'm trying to remember all these names. we got so many of them. Um, subscribe to Hill Varsity. Rate and review this show. Rate and review all the other shows. Shouts to Cam for producing this week. To you guys for listening. Thank you. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. We'll be back next week. A Hoda Media Production.